Hello and welcome to the Caregiver's Stories podcast, where we discuss all types of dementia and hopefully share some caregiver stories along the way. My name is Kimberly Scott. I'm a part-time caregiver to my mother, who at age 65 was diagnosed with early onset dementia. In 2019, I started the Caregiver's Stories to give caregivers a place to tell their story when they're ready, to continue to educate those who don't know about dementia and that it's a symptom of many other diseases and what to do if your loved one is diagnosed with dementia. But most importantly, my number one purpose for this podcast is to get people talking and having a tough conversation about the what if your loved one is diagnosed, then what? Do you have a plan? I wish my mom and I had had that tough conversation before she was diagnosed. If you want to share your story or have knowledge about dementia and want to be a guest on Caregivers Stories podcast, visit thatkimberly.com to sign up to be interviewed. And while you're there, you can pick the platform you prefer to choose to listen to the podcast on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, YouTube, and now Amazon Alexa. Hello, and today's guest is Tracy Lawrence. Hi, Tracy. Hey, Kimberly. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time and sharing your story with all of us. My pleasure. Give the listeners a little bit of background on who you are and what led you to do what you're doing today. Well, I'll tell you. Back in 2003, I was a graphic artist living with my husband in northern New Jersey. Uh-huh. And my parents were living a very happy retirement down in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I thought everything was great. (laughs) (laughs) And then I found out when I visited my parents in Florida in spring of 2003 that things weren't so great. My father had a lot of cross-complicating illnesses, the worst of which was vascular dementia, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, was misdiagnosed a bunch of times. Wow. Yeah. And he died in July of 2004 Uh after about a year of us trying to figure out how best to help him. And the answer was help him to have as good a death as possible because that's what he wants. Okay. Wait a minute. So he was misdiagnosed all the way up until his passing pretty much? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was the one who figured out that he had vascular dementia and you know, he was diagnosed with Pick's disease, which Mm -hmm. he definitely did not have. Okay. Frontal temporal dementia, which there may have been a little bit of that, but what he primarily had was vascular dementia because he had coronary artery disease. Hello. (laughs) So, you know, the, the idea that he had little strokes going off in his brain, you know, made perfect sense. And when you looked up the symptoms Mm -hmm. of vascular dementia, they, they correlated very well with what my poor father was going through. So, you know, it was clear what he had, but the doctors weren't putting that together. So, but at any rate, he died in July of 2004 from congestive heart failure. Okay. And my mother was living independently in Florida without him for Uh a while, put my husband and me in the hot seat, having to spend all of our downtime, the time that we would have been spending on vacation. Uh We were instead going down to Florida to see how mom was doing. Yeah. And by and by, she wasn't doing so hot. And Mm -hmm. so I asked my husband, would it be okay if mom came to live with us? And he said, of course. Mm -hmm. 
And so I asked my mom if she would come live with us. And she said, sure. That was the nicest offer she'd had that year. Ah, and, she was okay uh, with it. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, awesome. you know, she knew she couldn't be alone anymore. Okay. Too many things were going wrong. Yeah. And so she came to live with us. And then it was the challenge of having your parents live in your home with you. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, getting a front seat to their decline. And at the yeah. same time, having some of the classic arguments that you had with them when you were a teenager. Yes. <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. So, you know, you are constantly trying to balance. Balance. You're trying to be kind. Yes. You're trying to serve this person who you care so much about. Mm hmm. But at the same time, you're trying not to let them suck every breath out of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. As you figure it out. As yeah. You go along. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And so as I cared for my mom, you know, one of my great and favorite defense mechanisms is writing. Mm -hmm. Whenever something upsets me, bothers me, makes me mad, I write about it. I write it down and, you know, I just like vomit it on the page. Just get, okay. get this out of my system. And then I feel better. And then when I'm through doing that, I circle back around after it's had time to kind of flush out of my emotional chakras. And then I can kind of look at it more objectively. And then I take what I write as an emotional response and then try to turn it into something that could be entertaining, educational, maybe yeah. a little of both. Mm -hmm. And it started as a blog because I thought, well, if people could benefit from anything that I learned while caregiving my mom, that would be great because there is no manual for caregiving. Yeah, no, there needs to be. There needs to be. And then, so I blogged and by the time my mother died in April of 2015, I had like 600 followers and I didn't need to blog anymore. So mm -hmm. I left it. A year later, I circled back around and I started reading my posts and I really liked what I read. And I was glad that I recorded it because there was so much I forgot. Yeah. So much that happened in the heat of crisis, the mm -hmm. nonstop crisis. Yeah. So I thought, oh, wait a minute. The book I need to write, it already exists. I just got to polish it. So, yeah. so that's so how that, Dementia Sucks came about. <laughs> yes, that was how it came about. I created a manuscript and I worked on it and I found somebody who helps first-time authors find a publisher. And mm -hmm. 20 days after I met that person, I had a publishing deal, which was wow. pretty amazing. Yeah. So how long from the time that your mother moved up to live with you before she passed in 2015? Like what was the span of time that she lived with you? Okay. She moved up to be with us permanently in February of 2010. Okay. And she died on her 64th wedding anniversary, April oh. 14th, 2015. Yeah. So okay. a little over five years. And she basically experienced like every, every kind of caregiving on the caregiving spectrum, like from distance to hired people in the home to a combination of living with me and having hired people in the home to help you to, yeah. yeah. And then she was independent. She was an assisted. She was in a hoop home. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of her life, she was on hospice in a group home. Well, good for you. You're a great daughter for taking that on, you know, good for your husband for being supportive. I always like to tell the caregivers because 
we need more people telling us, you know, whether it's full-time or part-time, it's still hard, especially when it's, you know, oh, yeah. someone that, like you said, your mother, the dynamic between mother and daughter is extremely difficult. I don't want to say it's more difficult than anything else because I think it doesn't matter, you know, how the connection <laughs> is. It's just difficult to see them deteriorate and them, you know, lose their memory. But yeah. So yeah. And it. it's also, you know, their reaction to their illness. Yeah which is really tough to take because you're thinking, especially in the beginning, I'm being such a good kid, <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm doing I'm, the right thing. I'm doing, I'm doing the, right, the thing. right thing. I'm giving up big chunks of my life and my privacy and my free time to take care of this person. And she's being so stinking mean to me. I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like such a shock in the beginning because it's like, why is she being so mean? And then you start to realize, you know, you put yourself in their position and you start to realize, oh, wow, she's really anxious and she really doesn't feel good about being in this position and mm -hmm. her freedom has been impacted. Yeah. You know, so all of this, you know, put it all together. And then of course, what it really comes down to is control. Uh-huh they realize that they're losing control over their lives. Absolutely. But the one thing that they really have control over is you. Yes. Because you are their child. Yes. You have all these buttons they can push and they know where they are because they installed them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and if they forgot about them, they remember them at this point in time. Oh yeah. Have brief flashbacks <laughs> to it. A lot of the people that I have spoken to, a lot of my friends that have gone through it, it's humor. You have to find some little bit of humor to keep your sanity. But first off, you know, humor with them to keep your compassion and, and the respect for them because they don't know what's happening. I mean, they do know, but they don't know. It's a battle right. within and themselves. It, yes. First. And it changes from moment yeah. to moment. I mean, Absolutely. you can be cruising right along and everything's going great. And all of a sudden they react in a way that you didn't see coming mm -hmm. because there's information flashing across their consciousness that has nothing to do with what's going on in our shared reality. Yeah. And it gets scary. And, mm -hmm. and then a lot of times they're perceiving correctly, but you're seeing things differently because you're just doing all this stuff and you can't pay attention to the things they're paying attention to the way they are. Yeah. Emotional, so, emotional mushiness that you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Moment. And dementia is contagious. You know, <laughs> my mom and I laugh about that all the time when she asked me like, when I'm there, cause I, I travel to El Paso once a month and I'll, did you get the keys? Oh no, I, I forgot. I said, mom, you're rubbing off on me. And she like laughs. We laugh about it, you know, because you it is. To. I'm trying to juggle her life and trying to juggle my life at the same time. And yeah, you forget things and it's just, because you're juggling a lot of things. It's yeah. Just and, human nature. Oh yeah. And there's something else that I'd like to point out. People need to understand this. When you are a caregiver and you're watching your loved one decline, you're grieving mm -hmm. and grief causes memory loss. Yes. So people need to understand that also. And they really need to give themselves a break. Yeah. There are so many unexpected things that come with this caregiving job. And it's extremely important for caregivers to have a lot of love and compassion for themselves. Yes, absolutely. Great segue. What would your advice be to a person who just started caring for their loved one? Okay. Great question. <laughs> and I'm not saying this to sell books, but I would highly recommend that people read my book. Yes. And the reason I say that is because while my journey is my own unique journey, 
by reading what I went through, it will help readers to understand the process mm-hmm. of the realization that your loved one is developing this problem and the kinds of things that you really need to do in order to prepare yourself for it. And above all else, you have to put yourself first. Mm-hmm. And this is something that most caregivers fail miserably at yeah, because they are so busy trying to put their loved one first. Yeah. They feel like if they put themselves first, they're being selfish. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that if you don't put yourself first and you go down in flames, then everyone who depends on you will also go down in flames. Yes, so it's not selfish. <laughs> yeah. You also put, don't take responsibility without authority. What did you mean by that? Ah, Yes, that's an extremely important thing that a lot of people don't think about. Very early in the journey, while your loved one is still capable of participating, you want to make sure that you get power of attorney, legal power of attorney, and legal health care proxy so that you can make decisions on their behalf when they no longer can. Yeah. A lot of family members push back when you mention this to them. Mm-hmm because they don't want their autonomy taken away. They don't want to lose control over their lives. But the problem is that if they're going to ask you to take some responsibility for what goes on in their lives, then they must also grant you the legal authority to act on their behalf. Yes, that was the first thing I did. And I applaud that. So I just want you to know that if a loved one who is asking you for help Mm -hmm. will not see an attorney with you, Mm -hmm. respectfully step away and just say, okay, that's great. Then that means that you're going to take care of yourself and I no longer have any responsibility for your care. Because if you will not give me the legal authority to act on your behalf, I will not take responsibility for your well-being. So see you later. (laughs) Make a call when you change your mind. Yeah. And people will feel mightily guilty about it, but it's just like, you know, when a parent is laying down the law with a teenager who's giving them a hard time, it's the same thing. It's tough love. You got to do it for them and Mm -hmm. for you. Yes. Extremely important. That should not be negotiable. Yeah, absolutely. It is a process, but that's the first thing that, especially when it came to the doctor's visit and being able to call and schedule or get the results or all that. And that's how I approached it first. And so I would give anyone the advice that if they're hesitant, especially when it comes to the financial side of things, which I, you know, also took over, but if the tough love doesn't work, approaching it in a manner of, you know, the doctor won't tell me what's wrong unless, you know, I have this in place, you know, this power of attorney in place. And so, you know, you could take baby steps or just get it all done once they agree that you're going in there for- Right, um, the healthcare proxy, because people laws are a bear, you know, they, you know, and truth be told, a lot of doctors, you know, they're grateful that you're there because, Mm -hmm. you know, to have to interpret with somebody who's cognitively impaired is difficult for them. And they're glad to have somebody competent be in Mm -hmm. the same room, right? For sure. But, you know, there are cases where, you know, especially if they arrive at the hospital, right, without you and you show up after the fact and they don't know who you are. Yep. You know, you're in for it. Yeah. You know, and, that's a whole and, other and, ball yeah. of so, wax. 
Right. So you don't want to be in that position where you're scrambling to demonstrate that you have authority to speak for this person mm -hmm. when they're in crisis. Yeah. Because that can be a really awful thing to have to go through. Yes, absolutely. What's something else you want people to know about when it comes to dementia? It changes. It's mm -hmm. one of the most frustrating and cruel diseases you can imagine. I agree. And just when you think that your loved one is gone, they will make a return appearance as their former self. These are called lucid windows. Mm -hmm. You know, there were times when my mom was like, you know, I really thought that she was just gone, gone, gone. And then I would bend over to kiss her goodbye. She'd look me straight in the eye and say something that was totally on point, totally lucid, and just the exact right thing to say. And I'd go home and cry my eyes out because, you know, it was like she fought to make that connection. She fought to pulled together all of her capabilities to give me a message she needed me to have. Mm -hmm. So, and that can really take you by surprise and it's a very difficult thing. Yeah. But you probably had a good cry that you needed at the time. <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. You know, and like you said, she fought to be able to tell you that thing at that moment in that time. So that way it gave you the, whatever you needed to yes. get back up and and start the next day because it's it's definitely a roller coaster of emotions that uh, that's the word be. it's roller coaster <laughs> yeah, yeah sure yeah and you know she was in a home where she was getting terrific care mm -hmm. I had spent an entire day with her and she slept through most of it and when I went to kiss her goodbye she looked me straight in the eye and she said do not feel guilty for leaving me here hmm. yeah. and that was so big you know I laughed because I shook off guilt a long time ago at that point. Mm -hmm. But that she said what she said when she said it, she let me know that she knew who I was, mm -hmm. she knew where she was, and that she needed to be there, and she wanted me to be okay with it. Yeah. And that was, that was just a huge thing for me. That was one of the best gifts she could have given me. A very sweet moment, I'm sure. Yep. What's something else that surprised you about yourself from being a caregiver? Well, let's see. How resourceful and tenacious I can be. <laughs> well, no, I mean, yeah, you, just when you thought you couldn't, you could, and you get back up and you go. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I went through a phase where I was like dealing with, my parents had long-term care insurance. Mm -hmm. My father right. didn't really right get to for use them. <laughs> yeah. But my father didn't really get to use his, which pissed him off mightily. Yeah. I know that on the other side of the divide, he was still pissed. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you how I knew that because I started my mother's claim when she had a psychotic break and I was like, okay, this is it. Cracking this claim open. I'm going to get this thing rolling. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure I maximize what I do with my mother's claim. Mm -hmm. And there was a phase for seven months. I was not getting reimbursed mm -hmm. for her expenses because of an administrative snafu. Ugh, it was horrendous. And I actually escalated it. I wrote a letter to the CFO of the insurance company, mm, telling him what you. was going on. And within two weeks, I had somebody assigned to my case and I wound up getting cut a check for $15,000, more than I expected to get back from them. Mm -hmm. So it was a great lesson in being tenacious and not allowing you know, no to be the final answer. Yeah. And my mother, she got really great care that did not completely bankrupt me because I used her policy wisely. So you yes. used her long-term care policy, correct? A yes. long-term care policy helped you not go bankrupt taking care of your mother. That's correct. 
Hear that, people. <laughs> I just... Yeah, and I will tell you that my mother was on hospice for eight months, uh -huh. and I couldn't understand why she was still alive mm -hmm. for so long because she was so far gone. Yeah. But when I got the call from the hospice nurse on April 14th, 2015, that was my parents' 64th wedding anniversary. Wow. Okay, now it gets better. <laughs> and she didn't die right away. I spent the day, you know, in the room with her and she just, she was hanging in there. So my husband and I went for dinner at a Chinese restaurant. They brought us dinner and we toasted mom and they brought out the bill for our meal with the fortune cookies. And when I opened my fortune cookie, it said, leave all your old troubles behind tonight. Hmm. And I love that it's old. <laughs> so, and then, uh, you know, that night my mother did pass at 9.02. I got the call from the home. You give me and, goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. And I actually, I donated her brain to science. I coordinated that her body was picked up from the home, went to Mount Sinai so they could take what they needed and then deliver her to the funeral home. And the following morning I got up and I got an advice from the insurance company that the last $472 had been released from my mother's long-term care because that's all the money that was left. She had exhausted her policy mm -hmm. on the 13th and the money hit her checking account on the 15th. Wow. So the reason my mother was on hospice for eight months was that my father was not going to allow her to cross over until she exhausted that policy. Yeah, because he don't get it back. That's it. He wanted value and he got yeah. it. So, yeah. and he came for her on their anniversary. Yeah. So she could cross over and That's see him awesome. again. I know yeah. things are very different now when it comes to long-term care. I got long-term care the same year my mom was diagnosed seven and a half years ago. Uh -huh. And I am still looking to find somebody that will talk more about the long-term care side of things because I know things have changed from that time, you yes. know, even then yes. in 2015 to, or even when your parents got it, which were sure, sure a long time before. Oh, yeah. Um, but I try to explain to people and my nieces and my nephews that, hey, look, you know, as soon as you get a job, because I just graduated high school, right. you need to invest in long-term care. Like, get somebody to explain it to you, but you need to yeah. get it. Like, it's... Yeah. You don't want someone to have to pay to take care of you if you can't take care of yourself. So that's right. That's I'm right. So and happy you brought that up. Yes. And incidentally, there are policies that you can get mm -hmm. that will allow you to use your death benefit while you're mm -hmm. still alive yes. for things like long-term care. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had a long-term care policy, but the premiums went up significantly. Mm -hmm. And so I got for my husband and me, we have life insurance policies that have chronic benefits. Uh, so if either of us gets sick for a length of time, we can accelerate the death benefit in our policies to pay for care. But if we don't get sick, then the money can be used different ways. So okay. I highly recommend that people talk to a qualified yes. financial advisor Absolutely. who understands this world. And I'm one of those people, by the way. Oh, um, yeah. We might well, have to do a second podcast on that then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get compliance to approve it though. Okay. But I, I am a registered rep and I do, you know, and I got involved in this because of what happened with me and my parents. Yeah. I wanted to know what things are available 
to us so that you know when we're confronted with these situations we will know what the smartest thing to do yes. with our money is so that we're not bankrupting our futures to care for our loved ones and so yes. that our children and the next generation aren't spending all of their hard-earned money to take care of us it's not fair yes absolutely i agree 100 percent. i agree it's something that nobody wants to talk about no uh, no that, you know we're all living longer and yep and people i'm 45 and i know plenty of people my age even older so you know forget the younger folks and that's not in a you know any kind of malice way but the younger folks please be talking to your loved ones about the what if they do you know live and they can't take care of themselves because i know people my age and older are not having that conversation no we should all be talking about the what if you for sure for sure and and you know having a strategy in place yes. everyone and here's something else everyone should have an advocate yes everyone needs to identify someone in their lives who they are willing to legally establish as their mouthpiece if they can't speak for themselves yes absolutely and someone who knows what their wishes are who knows what their deal breakers are and who knows where the resources are so that they can break open that piggy bank you know and access yeah. the resources to take care of you mm -hmm. if you can't take care of yourself everybody needs that and it, from the time you're 18 in this country yes you absolutely need to have an advocate yes. you need to have a letter that says if i can't speak for myself please talk to my mom or you know whoever it is but they whoever need to have Everyone needs to have that. HIPAA yeah. laws changed everything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how can folks get a hold of you if they have more questions and want to also buy the book? Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking. Well, I have two websites. One is grandfamilyplanning.com. Okay. That's my family coaching website and also business coaching. I am now talking to businesses about creating a culture that supports family caregivers. Awesome because so many employees yes. are in that situation and don't want to talk about it because they're scared of losing their jobs. Yeah. What, a, what a concept, right? Yeah. So there's that website. And then there is another website, tracyslawrence.com. That's my speaker author website. And it, Tracy is spelled T-R-A-C-E-Y. Okay. And it's S as in Sue Lawrence, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. -E. So Tracy Yes, Lawrence.com. So as not to be mistaken for the country western singer Tracy okay. Lawrence. Yes. <laughs> I didn't find that when I Googled your name. So I'm glad yes, you yes. Google for some reason, like you know, they take the E out and they assume that they want the country western singer. Yes. So, so that's not me. Okay. I'm a rock singer, thank you very much. So, <laughs> yeah, so those websites will give you ways of contacting me. Okay. I also have resources for people. I have an ebook, The Eight Topics You Must Discuss. Mm-hmm and a resource list so you know you get on the website you know if you want any of those resources you can just hit the contact and write me through the website and i will be happy to send you links so that you can download those handy dandy resources that have a great deal of value for people in that awesome. that early stage of dealing with caregiving a loved one okay well thank you so much i really really appreciate you joining me today and sharing your story so much knowledge. I will be emailing you for that ebook. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I really, really, truly appreciate your time. I'm, I'm grateful for people like you that are willing to share their knowledge and, you know, get on that bandwagon with me about having the conversations with their loved ones to be prepared or at least have some sort of a plan if they, they don't die, but they live.
And thank you so much for inviting me and for having me. Oh, and by the way, the book is called Dementia Sucks, A Caregiver's Journey with Lessons Learned. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and fine bookstores everywhere, published by Post Hill Press. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tracy. And to the listeners, thank you for tuning in again to another episode. If you know somebody who could use this information, please share this podcast with them. You could also message me on Facebook or LinkedIn. You can DM on Insta or tweet me. Huh. Until next week, remember sharing is caring. And to all the caregivers listening in the words of Dottie Gandhi, you have my undying love, gratitude, and admiration. And to all those that have not had that conversation with your family about dementia, please start talking about it. Start talking about the what if something happens and you can no longer take care of themselves. Take it from a daughter, from two daughters with mothers and, and a father that have passed. We wish we'd have had that conversation with them. So thank you again.